Mongolia actually opened up in 1991 after 70 years of communism under heavy Russian influence. Then when the country opened up in 91, uh, missionaries started to come in and that was the very first time in the modern time opportunity opened for the people to, to know Jesus and to hear the gospel. So at that time, because we were a communist country, completely closed from the rest of the world, just like North Korea today, everything that is coming from outside, uh, outside the country was new. I went to a Christian church and that was the very first church in modern day time in Mongolia. Thanks for joining us for a new season of On Mission with Chris Wright, a podcast produced by Langum Partnership. Visit langum.org to learn more about Langum. What can Christians in Indiana learn from Christians in Indonesia? How can church leaders in Mumbai equip pastors in Miami, which is where I live and serve? On this podcast, we listen in on conversations between Chris Wright and church leaders in Africa, Asia, and Latin America, where my family has their roots. We hope you discover how much wisdom the church in the West has to gain from their sisters and brothers in villages and towns around the world. This podcast is brought to you by the Langham Partnership, a ministry founded by John Stott to equip church leaders in the majority world. Visit langham.org to learn more about Langham and explore more resources from global church leaders. Our host is Dr. Christopher J.H. Wright, known to many as Chris Wright, a respected theologian an award-winning author of more than 30 books, including critically acclaimed The Mission of God, Unlocking the Bible's Grand Narrative. When he's not writing books, Chris serves as Global Ambassador and Ministry Director for Langham. Today we travel to the vast and rugged nation of Mongolia to meet Bayer Garamsarin. For 70 years, Mongolia was closed off to the world under Soviet Communist rule. When the country opened up in 1991, Bayer was 18 years old and began attending the very first church in modern-day Mongolia. Christ captured his heart, and he has spent the last 30 years in tireless ministry for the church and his nation. Today, he is the first Mongolian to receive a PhD in Biblical Studies, directs the Mongolian Bible Translation Project, pastors a local church, coordinates Langham preaching in Mongolia, and runs a Christian publishing house, also that the church may be strengthened in maturity as it continues to grow in number. In part one of their conversation, Chris and Bayer discussed the drastic changes in his country since the end of communism, the rich history of Mongolia and the Mongolian church, and the remarkable growth of Christianity in a country where only 30 years ago, barely a handful of Christians lived. I hope you enjoy and stay tuned for part two of their conversation next week. Welcome to On Mission with me, Chris Wright. And today we're heading to Asia and to a country that many of us probably don't know very much about. That is the country of Mongolia. In fact, when I was a little boy, the expression Outer Mongolia was a word that talked about the very farthest ends of the earth, a bit like Timbuktu, uh, the farthest place on earth you could ever go to. Well, my guest today will tell us a lot more about his own beloved country, Mongolia, which from his point of view many centuries ago would have felt like the centre of the earth, not the ends of the earth. So my guest is Dr. Bayar Jagal Garamtsuram. 
known to me and to many of his friends as simply Bayar. So welcome to you, Bayar. Well, thank you very much. I'm really excited to to have a conversation with you. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you, Bayar. Now, Bayar is our first and at the present time only Langham scholar from Mongolia. He lives in the capital city, Ulaanbaatar, with his wife Yanja and four children. But he did his theological studies in a number of places, uh, in the USA at Gordon-Conwell and also in Jerusalem and Israel, and he did his PhD in the University of Cambridge, which, as everybody knows, is the centre of the universe. Uh, it's where John Stott did his studies and I did mine as well. And Baya, you did your PhD there in Old Testament studies under uh, Professor Robert Gordon, uh, a, a lovely friend of mine also from Northern Ireland. Now, one of the things about Bayar, which we will get into as we go along, is that in many ways he represents all three of our Langham programs. He is a Langham scholar and using his scholarship in Bible translation, but he's also uh, himself a writer and a publisher, so he's very much involved with Langham literature, and he's a pastor and a preacher and is leading the program of Langham preaching in, in Mongolia. So it's, it's wonderful to talk to somebody who embodies, as it were, in one person, all the different dimensions of what Langham is all about. But first of all, Langham, let's, let's get to yourself. Why don't you tell us a bit more about yourself, and uh, maybe we should begin with how you came to faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, yes, um, I live in Mongolia. Uh, this is, um, you know, once was the the center of the world as you said earlier and uh, with the mongol empire you know uh, reaching from korea to uh, central europe uh, from siberia down to india uh, and that, actually during that time uh, christianity flourished in mongolia and in many parts of asia so i'm really happy to um, represent mongolia and also to be a Christian, and also now knowing the past history of Christianity in this part of the world, and to be encouraged by that history, and also strengthened in my faith uh, to say that I am a Mongolian, but I'm also a Christian. Um, yeah, so I, I, as you said, I'm a pastor, so I preach and teach, um, I'm also um, leading a Bible translation project under Mongolian Union Bible Society. We are working on a new translation of the Bible from the biblical languages into Mongolian. And also I'm involved in other Christian ministries in Mongolia, like, um, you know, uh, language preaching and literature. Um, also uh, Mongolian Research Institute for Christianity and some other uh, pastoral training. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So y- your your personal story of coming to faith is is interesting in itself because uh, it it goes back, I think, to that period when Mongolia became independent mm. from the Soviet Union in 1989-90, uh, when you were a, a young student, I believe, at that time. How, how did that happen? Yes. Um, in Mongolia, um, actually, I opened up. 
1991, after 70 years of communism, uh, being a, a satellite state or country under heavy Russian influence. Um, then when the country opened up in 91, uh, missionaries started to come in and that was the very first time in the modern time uh, uh, the opportunity opened for the people to to know Jesus and to hear the gospel. So at that time, because we were a communist country, um, so closed, so, um, you know, completely closed from the rest of the world, just like North Korea today. Really, it's very, very similar to North Korean situation today. So everything was new. Everything that is coming from outside, uh, outside the country was new. And especially things that are from the West was very new. And that includes Christianity. So, uh, you know, Westerners, uh, people speaking English was very new. And the message, uh, you know, Christian message was very new. So actually, at the beginning, it felt like it was very, very foreign. Uh, some uh, strange, um, mysterious um, message uh, from the West. Um, so I, I was a student uh, in college, first year, and I really wanted to learn English uh, because I saw English as the window uh, to uh, you know, gain knowledge and information from the rest of the world. So I, I was desperate to learn English. So I asked my friend, uh, a classmate, where can I go? And she, she suggest, suggested to me to go to a church uh, where I could find many foreigners. So I immediately on the very first Sunday, I went to a Christian church and that was the very first church in modern day time in Mongolia. Um, and I, as I went, I saw these Mongolians and foreigners who were very, very different from the people that I knew or I, uh, around me. These people in the church were very happy. They had uh, smiles on their faces and they were very friendly, very um, open and very friendly. Something a bit, bit unusual at mm -hmm. that time because when the country opened up, you know, we are used to uh, people who are a bit cold, um, you know, we don't really easily put smiles on our faces at that time. Uh, so very friendly people. So then I uh, listened to the sermon, uh, you know, heard the worship songs, and they were very strange and new to me, but they were happy songs. Uh, and the message was also very new. Something strange, kind of like out of this world, something very, very new. Uh, but then it began to answer my questions about life because I had questions like, what is life about? Who am I? Why am I here? What is the purpose of my life? Who is supposed to tell me what I'm supposed to do with my life for the rest of my life? And so I had these very fundamental questions. And then I was always looking for answers in my, as I was growing up, um, uh, as a young boy, but I never really found um, satisfying answers. But from the preachings, as I came Sunday after Sunday, uh, it began to answer my these questions. So then I felt like, uh, you know, very soon that I then I prayed, God, if you are real and if you're out there, 
I, I want to follow you. I want to know you. I want to commit my life and I want to do what you want me to do. And I started reading the New Testament. Um, and I was really, really hungry to know, to get to know this God. Mm-hmm. So I, it was very um, shortly after that started coming to church, I committed my life to Jesus mm-hmm. and started coming to every Bible study, every meeting that the church <laughs> had. <laughs> and so I was... It sounds like in some ways you discovered the meaning of your own name because you were telling me that your full name, Bayar Jagal, means something like joy and happiness. And you were exactly. discovering that um, through mm-hmm. faith in Christ. Exactly. Actually, um, um, after the very first Sunday meeting, when I was walking home, I felt something strange in my heart. I was, uh, I was like almost like bubbling with joy for the very first time in my life, Mm. as if I found something very joyful, something uh, that I I will be very happy about. Um, And that's what I remember. So uh, when I became a Christian, I found, I literally found the meaning of my name. Mm. And I, I can say I found three things, or I received three things, joy, hope, and um, light, mm-hmm. um, wonderful joy. I just explained this is the really because I grew up in a family where joy wasn't very prevalent, where happiness wasn't very much around. Um, it was a very kind of sad family, mm-hmm. a single mother family with um, you know not much joy really. Mm-hmm. Um, life wasn't easy for for our family. And then I found hope for my life because, because I did not find uh, joy and purpose in my life, I felt life was not worth living. Life was not very much uh, really important. So I thought, you know, why, why live? Why live this empty, meaningless life? Yeah. Um, so, be, but when I you know, started reading the New Testament, coming to church and beginning to really relate this God, uh, I began to have hope for my life, hope for my future, hope for my, uh, you know, for the years to come. And then a light uh, was the third thing that I really received because my life felt very dark and hopeless and very sad. Um, for many, many reasons. So, uh, mm. you know, as I felt so joyful and hopeful and also there's just a light and then suddenly the sun just shine, shone on my life. <laughs> it's wonderful. So, now, it, it, another yeah. part of your story, which happened soon after that, is that the church uh, sent you with one or two others to the OM ships. And so you actually spent a little while as a very young Christian uh, with other Christian believers from many different countries in, in basically a ministry of, of books and other things on the OM, the Operation Mobilization Ship. That must have been quite a, a, a remarkable experience for a young Mongolian. Yes. I was um, uh, just about 20 years old um, when suddenly the, um, my church said, OK, we decided that you will be going to uh, be going to a ship and live there for two years. Uh, 
you know, <laughs> they didn't ask my opinion, but they just decided this guy will go. Uh, so it was really God's hand upon my life to direct me because I, you know, I didn't choose to uh, go to this um, ship. So I um, spent two years with another Mongolian, um, Mongolian for on two years on the ship Dulos, um, sailing around Africa, Asia, and uh, Southern Europe, uh, sharing the gospel. That was uh, a very um, foundational for my faith because I was even uh, not even one year uh, as a believer when I joined Dulos. <laughs> I can't I even suppose. imagine now. Sending yeah. someone who's less than a year believer yeah. joining mission ship. <laughs> yes. And I dare say, uh, because Mongolia is a, a landlocked country, we're going to go there in just a minute, but you'd probably never seen the sea before, had you? No, no. no. That was, <laughs> there, you are, uh, there you are on a ship sailing around Africa, a Mongolian from a landlocked country. There are no sea, no sea borders at all. <laughs> that's quite remarkable. That's right. Let's 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 um, let's go to Mongolia itself because mm-hmm. uh, it is a country which which certainly I, I knew very little about myself before I was able to have the joy of visiting you there back in in, uh, in 2018. But as you were saying a little bit earlier, there was a time in history in the 13th and 14th century when the Mongol Empire was the largest land empire ever in, in human history, uh, spreading, as you said, from the Pacific right through to the Mediterranean, to, uh, almost into the borders of Austria, uh, and from uh, what is now uh, Siberia and Russia right down to the borders with India, and including Iran and Afghanistan and mm-hmm. so on. It's an incredible story. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about that history and what it means to be a, a country with that kind of cultural background and how that has affected the culture of Mongolia even to the present day? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a big history. Um, um, but during the communist period, that history was very much suppressed. Really? We were not um, allowed to even mention uh, the name Chinggis Khan and even talk about him, um, our history was rewritten um, by, I would say, Russians um, to really press down that part of the history and then really to um, really brainwash us into communist thinking and communist ideas and ideology. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now, uh, uh, in the last 30 years, Mongolians are relearning our own history. Mm. We are studying our own history. We are rediscovering our own heritage and historical roots. Mm. Um, so we are today, we are very, very proud of our history, uh, especially during the Mongol Empire period, um, uh, because that, uh, that created, um, you know, contributed many good things to even to the world. Uh, that period was Pax Mongolica were travelers could peacefully uh, travel from east to west and you know without being hurt and so on it it, it started many um, um, uh, you know travels between uh, the east and west and also diplomatic relations and even you know merchandise uh, cultural exchange ideas uh, even also for uh, religions that was the time when many religions flourished, including Christianity. Mm. Um, um, uh, 
many uh, many of the Mongol tribes uh, during that time had a very strong Nestorian Christians presence in their tribes. And now we are relearning that fact um, mm -hmm. because that was almost unknown to us uh, up to 30 years ago. Yeah. So, so we this, are relearning. Uh, yeah, so you're saying that Nestorian Christianity, which is basically a, a form of Christianity that came from Syria, from, from the Middle mm -hmm. East, uh, and mm -hmm. had reached certainly reached China by the uh, 6th to 8th century, and you're saying that it, it was spread throughout the Pax Mongolica, as you called it, the, the Mongolian peace, which enabled, uh, like the Roman Empire had enabled the gospel to spread in the first century. This was a, a way in which God providentially enabled Christian spread uh, throughout Asia from east to west in the uh, 13th, 14th century, which is quite remarkable, really. But today, uh, Mongolia uh, is, as a country, as a state, much smaller than it was then, although it's still a large country. It's in there between China to the south and Russia to the north. And if you go west, you come eventually to Central Asia and Kazakhstan. I always like to give people some idea of the size of the countries we're talking about. And I gather that Mongolia is about two and a half times the size of Texas or six times the size of the United Kingdom but it only has a population of about 3 million. So it's a very large country with a relatively small population. And then um, many of us might know that there is a Mongolia which is still part of China, it's sometimes called Inner Mongolia, as a, a province of China. So do people sometimes confuse Mongolians with basically being Chinese? I mean, how, what, what is your, the, the ethnic reality of Mongolia as distinct from Chinese when there is a so-called Chinese Mongolia? Um, yes, many people are confused that um, Mon they think Mongolians are part of Chinese people or just about the same as the Chinese people, but we're not. Linguistically, we're very different. Chinese is a tonal language. Mongolian is not a tonal language. It's a, it's a non-tonal language with lots of guttural sounds. We speak almost with our throat, <laughs> lots of <laughs> consonantal sounds. Um, and also culturally, we're quite different. Mongolians are nomadic people. Uh, throughout the history, we we love horses and we we have animals and we move around. Whereas the Chinese people are um, mostly you know people dealing with the land and they're more settled people, mm. uh, peasants and all whatever. Uh, but Mongolians um, are, are nomadic people, but also. Uh, Mongolians, uh, even physically, <laughs> um, uh, very uh, on the bigger side, bigger side, um, and Mongolians love wrestling, uh, horse racing, archery. Uh, Mongolians are actually very good in uh, combat, uh, contact sports like wrestling, boxing, judo, and so. Uh, we have many good uh, people, you know, athletes in those sports. Mm. So we're quite different from Chinese. And, uh, you know, even the, just the fact that the Great Wall of China exists is because of the Mongol people or, <laughs> or uh, the ancestors of the Mongol people. Mm. Because the northern nomadic tribes kept coming down to the Chinese people and kept uh, you know, coming and conquering and looting them and destroying whatever they had. And so that's why they built the Great Wall of China to stop mm -hmm. 
these northern <laughs> um, Mongol or, or northern tribes coming mm. and destroying their land. Yeah. That's 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 remarkable. So you've talked about some of the things that uh, Mongolians are famous for. Um, for yourself, because I don't see you as a wrestler and a, all of that, but for yourself, what do you particularly love about your own country, your own culture? Um, mm. um, I, I would say uh, Mongolians are very um, community-oriented people. Uh, we love... Um, Guests, we very hospitable people, especially foreigners, especially somebody from another country, another culture, somebody who's we're not very familiar with. Uh, so we are very curious <laughs> about these people, their culture and their language. Uh, Mongolians are also very flexible people. Uh, they're also very tough in terms that they, that, that they, uh, they can endure many hard and harsh conditions. Um, they can endure harsh weather. They can endure harsh uh, living conditions. Um, pretty patient with, uh, you know, whatever circumstances that may, they may face. Mm. Uh, Mongolians are also uh, very um, outgoing in terms of that they are not afraid uh, to step out of their zone and make uh, new travels and go to another country and make um, start something new. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, yeah. We are in some ways maybe like pioneering mm -hmm. uh, uh, nomadic people, but very kind of bold yeah. um, and also very, very gifted in languages. Yeah. Mongolians are very, very gifted in languages. Well, uh, Bayar, I think you're a, a walking example of that. I, I, I know a lot of people who speak English a lot worse than you do. I, your English is flawless, and uh, that's amazing. Um, yeah, and I think that boldness uh, we should come to next because the church in the modern time, because uh, obviously, as you said, there were, there were Christian communities in, in Mongolia um, a long time ago, but in recent times, it's really only about 30 years old, isn't it, since communism fell in 1989 and independence 1991. And my understanding is that back then, um, there were very, very few uh, ethnically Mongolian Christians, as distinct from a few uh, missionaries, Western missionaries in the country. Uh, I, I heard that uh, only about four or five at that time, and you were among them. So how did all this happen? How does the church grown, and how far has it grown in the past 30 years? Yeah. Um, I became a believer in 92 um, so really, um, the spreading of the gospel and starting of churches started in about 91. Mm. Um, um, the sudden, um, the explosive growth of the Christian church in Mongolia, uh, uh, particularly of the evangelical churches, started with uh, missionaries plus young Mongolians. Uh, they would go and show Jesus film everywhere, literally everywhere. They would go to uh, go outside the apartment block and put up a display and show the Jesus film. And they'll go to another corner and just show Jesus film. And they go to countryside um, uh, um, and show Jesus film everywhere. Um, and also they would, you know, have some handouts 
um, for the people and they will, or they will start singing on the street um, and people will gather and then, then they tell about Jesus mm-hmm. and they will have meetings and church gatherings. And so this was a very spontaneous, um, very sudden, explosive um, evangelism effort uh, in the 90s, in the early 90s, up to roughly about 98, maybe. And is um, this the, the movement that your friend Puja was involved with? Because at this point, you were sailing on ships around around Africa with the Dulos. But, uh, I mean, t- tell me a little bit about your friend Puja, who I met when I was there. In But my, my understanding that he and a few of his friends were given New Testaments in just before Christmas in 1991. They read the New Testament together for a week. They decided that they needed to repent. They did so. And then they went out telling everybody they could, uh, so that by a year later, uh, in 1992, Puja was leading a church of about 700 people. Uh, this is just a remarkable story of, of what, and he was a young man, a, 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 mm-hmm presumably a teenager or thereabouts at that time. Uh, I met him. He's obviously a much more mature Christian leader now, but that's a remarkable story. Yeah, it is. Um, uh, I don't think something like that happens today, but it was just mm. the something that happened at that time in those mm. years mm. Um, because Mongolia just had opened up. Mm-hmm. Everything was new. Um Everything was literally uh, new, and we could do anything really. Um, and the Christian message was new, very attractive, um, because you know at that time no internet, nothing to really uh, entertain people, and nothing to draw their attention. So something that is new was very attractive. Mm-hmm. Um, so many young people were um, attracted to the singing and worship and the music and also the message and, and the New Testament and preaching. So today, uh, I when I was there a couple of years ago, the estimate I was told was that there was about four, between forty to 60,000 Christians in the country now and some 500 churches. Would that be accurate or is there anything more accurate than that that you can tell us about the size um, of the church in Mongolia now? Uh, yeah, since your visit, um, it has grown slightly a bit more. I would say um, about 60,000 believers um, between 550 to 600 churches. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, the church has grown slowly uh, mm-hmm. and uh, we are maturing and yeah. Mm. And that's that's obviously relatively small uh, in comparison to the whole population. So, what is the the dominant uh, religious worldview of of the majority people in Mongolia? Correct. Uh, we are uh, as a Christian population, we only count up to two percent of the population, mm. uh, and uh, we hope that it will, uh, you know, we will continue to grow, but we do face our own challenges and difficulties. So would most of the population be Buddhist or atheist from the communist era, or are there other traditional religions in the country? Um, uh, Most are Buddhists, uh, Mm -hmm. traditional Buddhists. Uh, The type of Buddhism we have in Mongolia is Tibetan Buddhism. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we also have atheists, um, uh, roughly probably about 20 
to 25 or up to even 30 percent atheists mm -hmm. um and then we also have um people who believe in shamanism yeah um, um and a very small number of um uh, muslims uh, mostly who are uh, ethnically kazakhs yeah. in the western part of the country right and your second name, Garamtsaram, you were telling me, is actually a Tibetan name itself. So, mm -hmm. is that? Yeah. Do you think that's part of your own ethnic ancestry? <laughs> uh, you know, when Mongolia uh, um, made Buddhism as the uh, state religion in the 15th and 16th century, uh, ever since then, um, you know, Buddhist monks were the ones who would give name to the children. Oh. Right, uh, children who are born. So we have today. We have many, many Tibetan names, but we don't know the, yes. the real meaning of. It. But uh, now okay. we are with the new generation. We are moving away from the Tibetan names to yes. uh, real Mongolian names. Real Mongolian ones. That's that's good. So obviously, we can be thankful and celebrate the the remarkable expansion of the church for those first thirty years and what God did. I mean, it's it's like the New Testament, just explosive growth. Um, but obviously that doesn't happen without problems and challenges as well. Uh, and it would be good if you could tell us a bit, uh, because you know people who listen to these podcasts want to pray and to, to understand sure. the needs of a church in a particular location. So what are some of the issues that uh, the Christian churches in Mongolia are facing today and the challenges as, as you see them? Um, you know, I see uh, a Mongolian church, including myself, um, that we are very young church, um, even though it's been 30 years, but as a whole church, uh, we are very young, growing church. Um, if I can compare it to um, a child, we are just uh, kind of like a toddler, mm -hmm. um, just starting to walk on our own, <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes fall down, but, you know, get up and start to walk and, mm -hmm. um, so that is probably the stage. I may be a bit more, um, some people may give much more optimistic image than that one. Yeah. But I would say we are still trying to walk on our own because right now uh, the leadership of the church, leadership of uh, most Christian organizations and NGOs in Mongolia are in the hands of local Mongolians, not in the hands of missionaries. Mm -hmm. So the missionaries... The number of missionaries have gone way down and many and most have gone home. Mm -hmm. And uh, even with the, uh, you know, uh, COVID-19 for the last two years and the things is changing. So very, uh, very much uh, Christianity is in the hands of Mongolian Christians. So it's up to us now how we grow and how we manage and how we uh, mature. Uh, it's very much to us, up to us. So, of course, we have a small number of missionaries, but they're very much in the support role in the background. We and are when you and when you say and and when you say missionaries, excuse me, these would not just be Western, you know, British or American missionaries. These would also include uh, particularly Korean missionaries. I understand. Correct. Yeah. yeah, we have mostly the missionaries comprised of two uh, groups. Westerners and the Koreans. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, Koreans is um, 
uh, is a, they have a huge number of a big number of Korean missionaries, but they they come on you know all sorts of purposes and business and so on. But many of them are also involved in church activities and yeah. so on. Yeah. Uh, but they yeah. they have the number of Koreans is also have gone down. Okay. I would say, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the, the the overall the number of missionaries is gone down yeah. a lot. So it's strongly an indigenous leadership of the church and the oh, yes. uh, church very agency, so. which which very is good. So. I mean, that's that's very much as it should be, isn't it? Really, I yeah. think uh, uh, the the shift from the missionaries to the locals mm-hmm. happened very quickly, mm-hmm. rather uh, much faster than what happened in many countries in Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's partly to do with Mongolian uh, Mongolians because we uh, we don't like to be sitting there and just waiting for someone to tell us what to do but we'd like to take the lead and just do it uh, yeah. whether we make mistakes or nothing but <laughs> i think we are more like we we we, we want to move on <laughs> yeah that, that's how you ended uh, up conquering most of asia i think <laughs> just get exactly. on and do it and go places yeah. and do things um, yeah yeah i mean that's... that is uh, the situation uh why we have many oh, oh, for comparatively young Mongolian church, we have quite a good number of Mongolian missionaries in the world mission, mm-hmm. in China, mm-hmm. Russia. Even we had missionaries in Afghanistan wow. um, in uh, uh, some years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we now there are Mongolian churches in in the, in the U.S. and the U.K., Europe, Korea, um, but uh, you know, these are. Mongolians who've gone to move to those countries, migrated and started businesses or whatever, and working mostly workers, um, but they they're starting uh, local churches for Mongolians. But I'm talking about Mongolian uh, people, Christians who've gone to specific countries, purposely to to be a, a really uh, what we understand as typical missionary mm-hmm. to proclaim the gospel, share the gospel, and really help out the, yeah. uh, share the people with the local people. Yeah, that's uh, very very much being on mission, as uh, our podcast yeah, is exactly. entitled, uh, and Mongolians on mission for sure. Actually, uh, Bayer, while you were here in the UK doing your PhD, I think you had quite close contacts with the Mongolian Christian mm. community here in Britain, didn't you? Correct. Yeah, mm. yeah. I was helping them with um, preaching and teaching, and I was, um, you know, every once a month I would go down to. Uh, London and teach and preach and mm-hmm. um, and do other things as well. That's great. So I was very much a, a PhD student, but also uh, <laughs> you know uh, providing some leadership and pastoral um, help to local Mongolian in the UK. Thanks again for joining us on the first episode of our new season of On Mission. Next week, we'll pick up where we left off with part two of Chris and Byers' conversation. They'll continue their discussion on Byers' passion to equip the Mongolian church with trained leaders and resources, and we'll hear what the church in the West might learn from the young and energetic church in Mongolia. Again, I'm Angel Torero, and thank you for joining me for On Mission with Chris Wright a podcast produced by Langham Partnership. Visit langham.org to discover how they multiply and equip leaders around the world. If you enjoyed today's conversation, will you let us know by giving us a review and sharing this with a friend? And then join me for future episodes 
where we'll be talking to leaders in Zambia, Palestine, Kenya, Brazil, and beyond. We look forward to having you join for our next episode of On Mission with Chris Wright. In the meantime, God bless.